there's no way out I've got to show them what I've become and There's no doubt Got my back to the wall and I'm still hanging on There's no way out I've made my choices where I belong and There's no doubt When the road gets up I keep my head strong Troubles in my life have been all the same With a strain in my mind getting hurt again There's a pain in my heart but it's just a game Gotta get over it, won't go insane Won't achieve anything while I'm down Don't wanna give out, my heavy weighted frown I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around Heaven's on the ground, now I'm looking at the clouds Gonna make a change, like a change, bigger getting changed Gonna stay the same with my mind frame rearranged Gonna wash the blue out my mind and my eyes Was I blind in my mind? Cause that was old times Cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision You can even spell my name in optimism Just track the M's and I and the P And then what you're left with is me there's no way out I've got to show what I've become There's no doubt From my back to the wall And I'm still hanging on There's no way out I've made my choices where I belong There's no doubt When the road gets the Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to tonight's live episode of the Zod Ryder Show. I am Zod Ryder, and with me tonight, I have a very special guest co-host with me tonight. We're going to be doing a a great episode. Uh, he is also a a wonderful host on the network on PSN Net uh, PSN Radio when time permits. This is the compassionate wolf himself, Mr. Oscar Benjamin. And Oscar, I had a much much better introduction planned for you but it's been it's been a busy it's been a busy day and i am it all it's all just kind of escaping me now but welcome back to the zod rider show yeah that was a great that was a great introduction so the honor is truly mine and i'm happy to be on the show and i'm happy to be once again um broadcasting so it's old homeschool week for me so it's it's gonna be a fun show and uh we're gonna have a lot to talk about Oh, absolutely, because tonight's topic is speculation for San Diego Comic-Con, which is actually coming up. I believe the first date for Comic-Con is July the 19th, which is next uh, Thursday. That's, actually, it's, it starts, there's a preview night on the 18th. So, so there's a preview night. Okay, well, that's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's that day zero, whatever you want to call it. But it's a, it's a night where people, you know, hang out. And it used to be pretty sparsely attended, but now it's just as crazy as the rest of the day so see so. now i now i have not ever had an opportunity to go to san diego comic-con because i'm never in california at the time that the comic-con is going on i the most um comic-con experience that i have is when i go to what they used to call out here where i'm from they used to call the great chicago comic-con Oh. And I and I would go to and I would go to that and I've been I've been known to cosplay as Superman and to do all kinds of crazy things when I go to Comic Con, but I have not quite made it out to San Diego yet. But that's something I definitely would like it's, to do at some point because there's pretty, always something it's, big it's happening. Pandemonium there. and you're hanging out with 150,000 of your closest friends. So <laughs> 150,000 of your closest friends. Yeah, well, that's got to be easy. That's got to be easy for you, Vic. Uh, that's got to be easy for you, Oscar, because I definitely 
uh, <laughs> I could definitely see with all all the stuff that you that you're into and all your the connections and stuff that you've made over the decades. I'm pretty sure that you've got pretty much that many friends, so that could work. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, because you, I mean, because you've been a busy guy. Have you been doing? It's been. It looks like the based off the stuff you've been posting on social media, a lot of photography and stuff like that. Are you doing working at work on films too and stuff? Well, so photog- photography will always be my foundation. So I, a lot of times, um, the, what I've been doing is basically uh, I've been consulting on a couple of startup companies and what have you. So then, as I'm uh, in those different states and in those different regions, there's some downtime so when what i do is i investigate the region and i'll find some quirky locations that i know will photograph pretty well and it's a little bit off the beaten path because i'm intrigued by you know abandoned sites and unusual pieces of art and eccentric you know eccentric celebrations of humanity so i love going to all these sites and most of the time these sites i'm usually the only one on these sites people don't know about them so it's, I have the place to myself, and I'm able to, you know, get as creative, as silly as I want to. And it could be a little dangerous being the only person on the site, you know, if you happen to fall or <laughs> who knows what, you know. And maybe you go there, and there's actually people there. So it's always a chance, but that's part of the thrill, you know. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, some of your most recent photos that you posted, you were, you really did look like you were you were in a film and you were being a character actor you know you've grown your mustache and you've done all kinds of things i kind of expect to see you in the next jurassic park film <laughs> i think I, I, I think they could they could get they could they could get you to replace they could get you to re, uh, replace chris pratt when they finally get tired of giving him giving him the same role in hollywood over and over and uh, over that again be quite, that would be quite a compliment <laughs> but i grew the i grew the mustache and the goatee it was a I was the official photographer last weekend for a Tombstone, a 25th anniversary reunion of Tombstone, the movie. So we got together. Uh, Miguel Corona was the the gentleman that organized it. And I met him actually on a set of Six Gun Savior when I was the the BTS photographer for that film. So we struck up a really fast friendship and we kept in contact over the years. So he contacted me to be the photographer for the event and a number of the stars were there, and it was a fun weekend in Tombstone, Arizona. It's a location I've never been to, so naturally enough, I was exploring every inch, every nook and cranny of the place. And Tombstone is a fascinating location, from the Boot Hill Cemetery to the underground mines to pretty much places like the Crystal Crystal Palace Restaurant. You know, iconic locations where the actual gunfight at OK Corral was actually occurred and you know the actual graves it's just fascinating i mean it's a it's a place that you know just for for those who love history like i do is it was i was there i was going absolutely mad of the light there it was it was just unforgettable moment and i have so many images and i haven't even begun to post <laughs> post what i actually shot so all that stuff i'm editing because we're putting together a dvd uh, reunion for the you know people involved in the film and for the public, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'll you know I'll keep people up to date on when DVD is gonna be released and everything. So it's it was an experience that I will never ever forget. That sounds amazing. It was. But it was see, incredible. 
But see, it always is amazing and incredible with you, Oscar, because you've Thank always you, got some stories to tell from somewhere, and it's 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 just it's never it's never a dull moment. I mean, I wish I could I wish I could get to get together with you more, but it's like I'm never I'm never in your area. I'm always. I'm always stuck around the around the same areas that I'm generally in, so it's kind oh. of like. Uh, well, maybe know, I'll make those... my way up your area, so we'll, we'll never know. Well, you I mean, might, you might at some point. I mean, it's, yes, it's. I've been, I was out. I was out in Florida, you know, last year for one thing. So it's. Oh, okay, for, yeah. For, for a wedding, so that was that was fun. So. <laughs> So, so like you've you've been so you've been like knee deep in projects that yes. lately, and have had all yep. these things going on, and and that's why that's why you haven't been back on the radio with the hour of the yeah. compassionate wolf. Yes, which... indeed. It's just that I've been editing so many images, and you know, a night like Monday is usually. If I have a weekend gig that I'm editing, you know, I'm editing straight through Monday, and then the first thing that has to go, unfortunately, is you know something like a radio show. What have you? And it's even cut into my, you know, my usual column writing, my writing also. So it's been, it's been actually pure images, pure photography, and I've been purely a photographer the, you know, this pa- these past number of, you know, this past year. Or so I just purely my photography is dominated now, which is which is a good thing. I mean, it's, since it's like definitely said, kept you. It's definitely kept you in shape. I, I got to give you credit there too. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, ab- I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's why. That's why I say you could easily you know, replace Chris Pratt in the next Jurassic Park. I could totally see it. You could keep the go- goatee and everything, and you could just be this. <laughs> actually, the goatee, just... the goatee and the mustache are already off. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you could grow it again for the next Jurassic Park. Yeah, I, I could easily, I could easily grow it again. That's that's no problem. I mean, if uh, if something, you know, if it. An assignment demands it. Of course, I'll grow it again. I mean, it depends, you know. But it was it was a fun look, and it was a look I had actually through throughout the eighties and nineties uh, or so. So I was that mustache, you know, that era where I had the mu- the mustache and sometimes the occasion of the beard and the goatee or what have you. And you know, it's something that all you know people who can grow one should at least do it once. You know, at least have a mustache once in your life. Because it's, a, it's an interesting sensation, and I know it's a weird thing to describe, but it, you know, unless you unless you never experience the growth of a mustache, then you, you're missing out on some <laughs> some interesting moments, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you never know. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. You know, I, this episode is, of course, as I said earlier, this is the our big Comic-Con speculation episode. So tonight we are going to be discussing all sorts of topics about different for different films and different projects and things that are going to be or should be announced at the upcoming Comic-Con next week. And I guess, you know, the best place... Uh, for for me to begin anyway, from where I from where I'm sitting, as it as it has dominated my you know my entire life since November, basically, <laughs> we have we have to talk about the DC universe and none and none other than the the famous director for Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and the partial director for. Joss Whedon's Justice League, Mr. Exactly. Zack Snyder. So, yes. so, so I, so we have, so we have to talk. I don't think you and I have ever actually had a discussion on radio about no. the Whedon, the Whedon, the Joss Whedon version of Justice League. I've actually, I've actually made my feelings pretty known on um, social network. If I'd actually 
really cutting Josh Whedon down because I think he's a very talented director, but he was not suited for um, the Zack Snyder vision of you know that particular of the DC universe. So his style was a contradiction to what Snyder already established with uh, the Man of Steel and of course uh, Batman v Superman. So it was it was actually a commercial decision, obviously, and for the most obvious aspects, most obvious changes were the brightening of the colors, this superhero uniforms, which was inexplicable. If you're for continuity fans, that alone was you know jarring. This well, thing. not yes, not only that, <laughs> and and then you have you have not you have continuity problems. You had things that didn't make sense at all uh, from a from a story narrative perspective either none of the connective tissue that was that Zack Snyder filmed for this movie was left intact you had nothing but and and I don't know if you've been following the whole uh release the Snyder cut movement I've and all been, of the I've been definitely following it. I've been following stuff that's been going on with the with yes. the, yeah with the with you know and with Zack Snyder's uh Vero social media posts and all the all the various people speaking up I mean I'm speaking about it like this because I mean I've been knee deep in it and when I say knee deep in it I'm involved in it every day i'm living breathing it it's 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 become such a part of my life it's like the first thing i'm i that i'm uh being um exposed to when i wake up and it's the last thing that i'm exposed to when i go to sleep at night i've had some crazy crazy dreams i don't even know if i could go into them <laughs> on this show it's just it's just been ridiculous i've a, i've actually had a i actually had a dream that i will i will let you know this one that i had wow. where i actually went to a it went in a went to sleep and i woke up in a virtual reality chamber and when I was in this virtual reality chamber, I ended up being transported into this environment where I actually sat down and had a had a like a question a q and a discussion with Zack Snyder about Justice League. Now, mind you, in the dream, it was just a it was just like a virtual version of Zack Snyder. It wasn't really Zack Snyder. But hope, it was just that, actually that you know that dream may actually be perhaps if we could even jump to the conclusion because I believe I'm of the belief that the this cut will be released and I believe actually I'm going to go so far as to say it might even get a theatrical release which would which would indicate or which would demand that the film get a red carpet so I believe if Zack Snyder if there was real justice in the rule he, I would believe he would invite you to the red carpet to actually walk the red carpet with the rest of the cast, perhaps, with the people associated with the film, because you've been pretty much a, you know, a huge proponent, a huge cheerleader for releasing this, and you've been very influential, I think, in the whole um, social network sphere, pretty much of getting this out. So I think you're, you've been, you've had a big part in I've been, to get you know, place. I've been doing, I, you know, and I feel like I've been doing my part, and then you got people, there's people out there, you know, there's, of course, you know, Fiona and Chris Wong and all of the people yes. that, all of the people that are major players in the, in, in it and have really, I mean, been going at it every day doing, you know, you got Chris Wong Swenson, shout out to him who was on my release the Snyder Cut uh, episode that I did a few weeks back. Yes. And he does, he does YouTube videos on a daily basis 
in regards to uh, release the Snyder Cut. I mean, he's always got topics, and he, he brings out his tinfoil hat when he brings up his theories about <laughs> about what he thinks is going to happen or what he thinks is working on behind the scenes. He's highly entertaining. He's a great dude, and honestly, I, you know, I think he, I think he's, and I mean, he's one of those people that actually caught the attention of Fiona and Zack Snyder, and actually, mm. he had he had a, you know, he's he, you know, he'll post. When Zack Snyder likes something that he, that he released, like a video that he put out, or a, cause Zack Snyder tends to, you know, really, really follow the fans and go along yes. with, you know, that kind of stuff on social media, the, on, on Vero, great, the, which. The greatest irony to all this, and I find is ironic and tragic in a way, is the people, the greatest detractors of the, you know, Snyder vision of the DC universe, are the first thing they complain was well, it's too dark, it's too serious, blah blah blah. These are the same people that that have complained as comic book fans that complain, well, uh, how come comic book movies aren't serious? How come you know they're they're treated with lack of respect? And then here you have a director that completely treats the mere material with religious respect, and he's yes. the first one to criticize. It's amazing. And these are the same people that love Christopher, you know, Christopher Nolan's version of Batman, which is incredibly serious and i would say i would say much more violent than than snyder's version i in my opinion i mean his batman is incredibly violent and yet these people were the first to jump up and down oh christopher nolan is the the god of dc universe and he brought back batman blah 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 and i'm not taking away anything from christopher nolan because i'm a big fan of christopher nolan but it's just this this split this weird hypocrisy that you know stuns me that these fans all suddenly these fans want to see this this bright so-called bright cheer universe almost on the verge of camp a throwback to perhaps the the Batman the Adam West camp you know Adam West Batman that, day that's what fascinates me yeah. I I completely agree with you I don't understand how Zack Snyder has split fandom in the way that the way that he had. I don't understand what has gotten what's what what has made it so personal too. I mean, I don't know if you see like these people get like personal about it, and they've gotten and they've attributed that personal element has gotten to the point where they are so ferocious in saying yeah. that oh the Snyder Cut will never be released. It's it, it's ne- it was never going to be finished. It's da 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 all this great stuff. But then but they but what they don't understand is you know it only took Joss Whedon a mere six months to turn out the Justice League that we got, and yes. it's 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 a known fact that he went in and basically reshot the majority of the movie in six months. And he re- he he went and reshot scenes that Snyder did, just to reshoot them, just to do a different perspective, you know, similar scenes, and and he changed dialogue. I mean, he reworked the entire film in six in six months' time. So if Josh exactly. Whedon could come in and rework the entire film in six months' time, who's to say that Zack Snyder didn't have a complete cut when he when he when he left? I mean, yes, exactly. it, it would make sense, especially going off of some things that were said, that have been said, uh, particularly by uh, Jay Oliver. He had he had made a comment where he had said something about that, about how Zack Snyder edits during principal photography. So yeah. while principal photography is going on, editing and special effects are being worked on. Mm-hmm. So that right there you know, kind of curbs the argument that it would be impossible for Snyder to have had a complete cut prior to leaving. Which, exactly. 
which if Whedon could do it in six months, you don't think Snyder, who's been working on this movie since, what, 20, 2014, 2015, could have a, could have had a complete cut of Justice League before he left? Exactly. We have to we have to remember also he was working on two Justice League films at the same time. That's the other thing too. Yeah. That's the other thing too. And what I'm hearing is, you know, and and there's a lot of theory there were a lot of theories about this early on when Justice League was first released into theaters about how the reason why principal photography took as long as it did was because he had shot the material all the material for Justice League Part One and Justice League Part Two. Not exactly. unlike, not unlike what Richard Donner had done for exactly. for Superman. To, I was just about to bring that up. The it's weird. It's weird. The same, almost the same thing happened to Donner. The salt salt kinds, you know, what they did to Richard Donner, the same treatment. It's the same, you know, Warner Brothers. It's just, it's just interesting. I mean, not the same. It's the same company. Kind of connection, it's the same company. It's, I mean, look at look at yeah. look at. Look at uh, look at uh, David Ayer for from Suicide Squad. Look at what he went through. You know, exactly. his original cut of of Suicide Squad is not seen the light of day either. And I think a lot of this, a lot of what we what we have now with Warner Brothers is they. This is something that has not changed with Warner Brothers. They've gotten they are they are in a situation where they are reactionary and they panic and they listen too much to the vocal minority. Thanks. Exactly. They can't, you know, they have, you, you hire a director for a reason. It says, it's a director's singular vision. Of course, a director assembles an army, but it's a director's, all, every film needs a singular vision. You cannot have too many cooks, you know, cooking, working on the same pot of food. You're going to have a, you know, have a bad tasting piece of food. So you've got to have one cook. That's basically who Zack Snyder is. And for the people who, who irrationally hate Zack Snyder, I've had the pleasure of talking to him face to face. I've been, you know, two different two different press press Q and A's of him. He's the nicest, very intelligent man. He's he's as sharp he's as sharp as they come. He's incredibly talented. He's just the he treats everybody in the press room with such respect. I mean, this is this is such a joy to talk to Snyder. I met Snyder back when he was promoting his film uh, 300 and he was i liked them back then wow okay I, yeah i met him again during watchmen and it's amazing i mean that's and of course he was back for you know for uh, the man of steel so it's just he's an amazing he's an amazing presence and he's one of the you know one of the finest directors working well i look at it like this days. it seems like it seems like everybody that's ever worked with Zack Snyder or has ever actually met Zack Snyder and then fans of Zack Snyder. We all have nothing but great things to say about this man. And, but yet you have all of these, you have all of these detractors who just because they don't like his movies attack the man personally. And I, and I'll never exactly. understand, I'll never understand why that is. And I'll never understand yeah, I would never, why. I would never, I would never direct, the attack an artist. If I don't like his, his film, I would, is irrational and illogical to, to attack the director. Just say, okay, you had a bad film or whatever the case is. Maybe I'll have a better film next time or whatever the case, but don't att- right. attack it personally. I, I've, I've, there's been a number of films over the decades that I've, you know, I despise done by very good directors, but I'm not, I'm not going to attack the directors. I mean, you know, Steven Spielberg of, you know, not 1941. In my opinion, that's a piece of crap, but Spielberg's a genius. 
So, I mean, it's, you could go on and on and on with different directors. Oh, yeah, every director has their, has their moment of their, where it's yeah, not, exactly. not such a, not such a good film. And, and see, but see, I'm one of those people where, for Zack Snyder, that hasn't happened for me. I find that I enjoy all of his films, so I really can't, I really can't say, from that perspective, I can't say, well, no, I don't like, I, I, there's, there's even some stuff yeah, about Snyder I don't like. Film. There's one film, unfortunately, that happened with me was the that what was that film the with the girls? I keep forgetting. Oh, that Sucker title. Punch! Like, Sucker, Sucker Punch! punch. Yeah, Sucker Punch to me was uh, you know an intriguing failure. I'll call it that. It was just they just seemed like Snyder was maybe just relaxing or coasting or just threw it out for some reason. And I never understood. I never understood that movie. Not really. You know, I had it. problems with I had problems with Sucker Punch when I seen it in theaters. And then I had gone back and revisited it, and then when his extended version came out, I li- I liked his extended version a lot more, and I got to be got more familiar with it. And actually, after the extended version, I it became one of those movies that I can go back to and watch because I get a lot out of it psychologically. I mean, you can go in and I, I kind of look at the whole concept of of Sucker Punch. Being a almost like a like a like a film talking about being in like a either being in like a dream state or being in like an yeah. alternate or being in like an alternate rea- alternative reality. You know, in a weird way, I looked at Sucker Punch as um, Snyder's attempt to um, copy in some weird extent, or maybe create an homage to Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Which I found very a lot of similarity. I kind of found, yeah, I, I kind of, I did find a lot of similarities there with Clockwork Orange too, which is, which is just another, which is no, just another layer to Zack Snyder, and I, I, yes. I just, you know, I'm to the point where, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand, you know, people's, people's just complete rabid, you know, hatred for the man when, in all honesty, all he's trying to do is make good intelligent movies and that's really what that's really what it all comes down to his movies will make you think whereas you can yeah. go to just about any marvel movie turn your brain off for for two hours or whatever and walk out thinking yeah that was a great theatrical experience but you know what i really don't have any desire to go back and rewatch that movie whereas a movie <laughs> like that like batman v superman I can I can go back and rewatch over and over again because there's always going to be something in it that I'm going to get that I didn't have before. I can't tell you how many times I've watched Man of Steel, but ask yeah. me how many times I've watched the first Thor film or how many times I've watched I've watched uh what would be what would be another uh, a popular Marvel another Marvel, popular Marvel uh, the original the original the first Avengers movie. Avengers, I mean, yeah. after I saw after I saw the first Avengers movie in the theater, I thought, okay, yeah, that was cool. But I mean, I can't even remember how many times I've gone back and watched it. I know it hasn't been too many. I could probably count it on my count it on my hand. I mean, but as that's what I'm the, talking about. Yeah, as much as I love Marvel movies, I I realize that Marvel movies are the equivalent of um, chewing gum or bubble gum. Basically, you, right. you like chewing at the time; it's very tasty, then the Flavy starts to die down and you spit it out. I mean, that's probably maybe it's too harsh of a maybe it's too harsh of and, a. And, uh, that actually assessment. that actually is a perfect a perfect assessment for Marvel, you know, <laughs> where, where like because like with DC 
with like the Snyder films, it's like they're like those they're like those everlasting gobstoppers where you put it in your exactly. mouth and it dissolves and turns into something different, and then underneath it there's something else, there's something else, there's something else, there's something else, and you're just and you're just you know exposed to all of these brand you know brand new flavors that you weren't expecting. You could be getting blueberry, but then the next thing you know, you're getting chocolate. I mean, it's crazy, and that's how it is with with you know. In comparison, how I how I look at DC versus versus Marvel. Yeah, with I'm Marvel, not, I know what I'm going to get. And I'm not trying to turn this into a DC versus Marvel universe. No, oh no, war, no, no, no. I enjoy. I'm a fan of both, but I'm just the feeling is that DC films are are definitely more on the intellectual side, and that's something again goes back to my first point is. That's intrigued me. Is this is exactly what comic book fans have want, waited for decades? Hey, we want our comic book movies to be treated seriously with respect. Here, here's the DC universe comes in more or less. Zack Snyder treat the, treated the material with much reverence, especially the Man of Steel, which I believe is pure poetry. Which oh, I, yeah. I think it's Man of Steel is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a it's like it's like reading the finest poetry. That's how I compare it. Man of Steel it is a beautiful, moving film. That speaks, you know, a lot of the human condition, among so many other topics it covers. But comic book fans have waited for this, and all suddenly, yeah, it's too dark, it's too serious, and we're not having a good time with it. You have a good time with it. It's not only the, not only the fun, but it stimulates you intellectually. So I don't understand how they're not having a good time with it. It's just, it's intriguing. The, the dichotomy, the, you know, the war, this constant war that he's. That's in the Snyder's films have, been, have inspired, you know, inadvertently, of course. It's just bizarre, and it may be a sign of a great artist. Either, either love him, love him, or hate him. You know, that's perhaps a sign of a good artist because there's no lukewarm, there's no gray zone with the Snyder's films, which is a good thing. I mean, even even a film like Dawn of the Dead, which I absolutely loved, and I was scared to go in there. I'm like, oh no, remake of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, but it's a brilliant, brilliant movie that. Touches on on a lot of the same subjects, but yet expands it and it creates a a truly horrific world, you know, within Dawn of the Dead. And I've always wanted you know Snyder to revisit that world, and I doubt that. Oh, I, oh yeah, especially happy. now. But but then then again, who knows? Stranger things have happened at this yeah, point. Just, you know, you never yeah, you never know with Snyder. Snyder could surprise everyone and 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 do something like that in the future. But I I just. I look at I look at this director and I see all the flack that he still gets all these years later, and my problem with all of the people that are railing against the release the Snyder Cut movement and are being so negative and saying, "Oh, you know, it's never going to come out. You should just you should just move on." WB just wants to move on, wants to focus. The release the Snyder Cut movement is not just about getting Zack Snyder's movie released. The release the Snyder Cut movement is really about director integrity. If you're gonna yes. if you're gonna support a director and you're gonna place a director in command of your of these big projects, you need to trust your director and allow that director to make the movie that he yes. wanted to make. If you don't trust him and you don't want him to do that, then don't hire him. I'm one of those exactly. people that who believes at this point that if they didn't want Zack Snyder to make a, se- a Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa type epic of for Justice League, and they didn't want it to be some long drawn out like thing, then they should have 
hired a different director to do it after Batman v Superman. And also, if they were if they were too far along, they should have just said, "Okay, we'll let Snyder do what he needs to do, and then after that, if it doesn't meet our expectations, then we'll go in a different direction." But what you don't do is what they decided to do, and you bring in a completely different stylistic director to come in and do things that make no sense and ultimately are 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 foreign even to Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, when they when people ask Zack Snyder on social media about the theatrical cut of Justice League, he doesn't have anything to tell them because he wasn't he wasn't involved in the changes that they made. And exactly. I said this on and I said this on the last show I did. My favorite quote from Zack Snyder of all the quotes and stuff that he's put out on Vero is when someone asked him about the Russian family in Justice League and Zack yes. Snyder's quote was simply what Russian family? <laughs> because because number one, he hasn't. He still apparently he still hasn't watched the theatrical cut of Justice League, and number two, he really didn't know. Because and then the person who asked him was pressing him and was like, "Oh come on, man! You know you know what we're talking about the Russian family that you know da 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 the Justice League was protecting and all this and and uh, and Zack Snyder was like, "No, bro, seriously." What Russian family? Like, he did not know. So that means he didn't watch it. And I think that exactly. that's just very, very telling. Because it, it he would, kept it his would, name it on this film. Pretty, it would seem pretty so, obvious that he wouldn't see this. He would see this work. Because, it, for one thing, it would probably be a little bit too painful to see. Oh, yeah. You know, it would be like, you, be like you're an artist, right? And someone comes in. For some reason, you can't finish your work. And there's another artist that comes in and redoes your the canvas you're working on, you know, whatever it was you're working on, it would be hard to actually. See yeah, you're, that piece you're of making work. you're making blueberries and they turn them into strawberries. I mean, it's exactly it's, that's yeah. essentially that's essentially what's happened here. I mean, everything that he did was altered in some way, and I, I just and and you know another major comparison to the Donner, but a big difference between the Donner cut of Superman two and the release the Snyder cut effort is that the Donner cut of Superman two was was you know there was a con- the, the controversy was didn't come until years later what people need to have to realize is superman 2 for the salkinds and for richard lester yeah. was a success superman 2 the theatrical cut of superman 2 was a successful film yes, yes so yes. you're so you're not so that's another reason why it took 26 years to get the donner cut of superman 2 justice league by all accounts, is considered a flop. It was not. It was not. It underperformed horribly, and they. It was not what they wanted, and it was ironically, it was critically panned and panned by the very people who wanted Zack Snyder out and complained exactly. about Zack Snyder all the time. <laughs> so, so you turn. So basically, what WB did was they turn around and not only did they give them a Marvelized version of DC by letting Whedon do by letting Whedon do Justice League, but they ter- actually brought in the Avengers director himself to come in and do it. Exactly. And they still didn't either didn't go see it, and then, uh, and then when they did see it, they, you know, they complained about it and tore it to pieces too. So that right there should have taught WB, you never try to cater to other audiences that, e- that were never going to support your projects anyway. Yes, that's that's hundred percent correct. I mean, how, we, I'm, <laughs> go ahead. How this definitely relates to Comic Con is this, of course. We know that Aquaman is is having a panel, is a, having a presentation yes. at Comic Con. So the 
that begs the question, perhaps will Snyder sneak in? He is still executive producer of Aquaman. Aquaman is, is his vision still, regardless of absolutely. Um, James Wan is a director, I believe. Yes. James Wan is James Wan's vision. I'm sure is is fine, but Snyder still he has his hands on the DC universe to some extent. So, will he show up and will he drop a bomb at Comic Con during that particular during that particular panel? I mean, that would be it would be fascinating. I mean, it's gonna it be- would be fascinating. And and here's the here's the interesting thing about that. By all accounts, everything that we're seeing of Aquaman and we've seen very little they've been very they've been keeping like a lot of the promotional stuff for this under wraps we haven't even gotten a trailer for Aquaman yet and the great the great thing about it though is all the I don't know about you but all the promotional stuff I've seen from Aquaman Aquaman looks like he kind of falls more in line with Zack Snyder's vision than he does uh Joss Whedon's vision exactly Completely, um, Snyder's vision of Aquaman. In terms of tone, in terms of tone, I mean, if, if, if the tone of Aquaman is gonna be more in line with what Zack Snyder was doing with Justice League, then it would just make logical sense for Snyder's version of Justice League to be released prior to Aquaman hitting theaters. And also, one thing that considers James Wan is also, uh, famous for being a director of horror films, so that, that's right. how he tells me that the film will be more in tone of Snyder's vision than anything else, because I can't imagine Juan doing a, you know, more of a comic, you know, a, a comedic movie with his sensibilities. I can't imagine that. So, I mean, I may be wrong, but I sincerely Well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And then we also have to consider who is in charge of DC uh, films right now, Walter Hamada, who is famous for what? He's famous for horror films over at New Line Cinema, The Conjuring, exactly. it all those horror film, popular horror franchises that were built out of New Line Cinema. He came from there, and he is said to be a strong, strong, strong Zack Snyder supporter. So if that's yeah. true, then it would make sense that James Wan's Aquaman is more in line in tone with the Zack Snyder version of Justice League, and exactly. we could actually be getting a huge uh, version of Justice League from Zack Snyder. That is, I my my hope is that it's that it's uh, it actually is two parts turned into one big epic epic movie and there's also yes. been rumors that Snyder's been working on it for the last seven months so we'll see if that so we'll see if that turns out to be true yeah we I don't know if you're familiar with um there's this movie and there was released in 1981 I believe um it was called um Heaven's Gate it had nothing to do with that cult or anything yeah. like that but it was yes it was I remember I've seen it I've actually I'm actually I'm actually a I'm actually somewhat of a of a quiet fan of Heaven's Gate, actually. I watch oh, yeah, it every, I'm, I'm, I watch I'm a it every, fan of Heaven's Gate. I watch, I watch it every 4th of July. <laughs> yes. It's that uh, Michael Cimino was a director and they yes. featured his film, but years later he was able to get a cut out there, which this was this magnificent film that they butchered. I mean, it was a long, a nice long film that you got into the characters. It was an incredible recreation of, of the era and admittedly, the subject it touches upon is, you know, historically obscure, but nevertheless, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a famous incident and it's a wonderful movie exploring the ramifications of the incident and what exactly happened in these range wars at that time. So, I mean, yes, it, it was yes, it, I mean, it had a lot of instances like that of, 
you know, studios or you know, sometimes getting a hold of film and butchering it. And years later, we have, you know, a director's cut or whatever the case is. We have a legitimate cut coming out. It's a, quite a breath of fresh air. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, and and we and we also we also kind of have to look at it like this too. Another major difference between the Donner cut of Superman two and the release the Snyder cut effort is that uh, Richard Donner did not want his name on the theatrical cut of Superman two. Richard yes. Donner want Richard Donner didn't want anything to do with it. I think he said he watched up to the up to the uh, Eiffel Tower sequence. With Lois Lane, and he and he couldn't get past it, and then he told them, "No, I, you know, I don't want my name on this at all." And then they then they gave it to Richard Lester. Whereas the theatrical cut of Justice League, even though Snyder hasn't seen it, still carries his name. And I did did a little research, and and actually had found out that when you keep your name on a theatrical cut of a movie, even though you're not, even though you may not be happy with it or whatever, it guarantees you and keeps. Your director rights intact, uh, so yeah. you have a so you have the right to put out your to make your cut of the movie. So, mm. in other words, it may he may have done that just so and left his name on it and everything, just so that he could eventually put out the director's cut that we all want to see. Yeah, which exactly which which would make which and, would make logical sense. I mean. And he's and he's due to make a public appearance pretty soon, anyway, sooner or later. I mean, I uh, we all we all know what the tragic circumstances of his daughter, and you know, I'm still I'm, there's no way you could get you could ever get over that. But nevertheless, I think he's due to make a some kind of public appearance very soon here. Also. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I definitely. I mean, think about it. He's involved. He's involved with one. He's involved with Wonder Woman. He's involved with. With you know again with Aquaman and he's still yes. he's still a major major component for the DCEU and whatever comes out of the DCEU from here on out is all going to owe a lot a lot to Zack Snyder because he brought out these characters so exactly. you know he posted on Vero today a really really jacked up picture of uh, Ray Fisher and it's and it said that Jack, like he was like. Like Ray Fisher's getting ready for something. I honestly think that there's going to be that there's going to be a huge, huge announcement at Comic Con in regards to in regards to the future of uh, you know Zack Snyder in the in the DCEU. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Zack Snyder gets if they announce that Zack Snyder is directing another film. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if he's if he's there. And then every time an announcement ha- happens in Hall H, the place is the the stamp the the place vibrates the 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 level of noise and you know everybody screaming it's just, it's an incredible experience if you've never experienced Hall H you know all its glory and the way these fans scream and the place goes absolutely wild for every announcement it's a, it's an amazing experience and it's amazing it's an amazing moment to feel feel that you know that fandom is truly leading leading the cutting edge of the the world right now, as well as the entertainment industry, that you know, what once was um, an ostracized group of people have now become become the mainstream. You know, for whether that's good or bad, you know, that's I guess for others to judge. But nevertheless, it's a fact. This is the, we we have all arrived, and you know, we've we become the inheritors of the earth, basically. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's so funny how, how people were, how people were ostracized and made fun of for liking all this stuff decades, decades ago, and now it's, yeah, it just completely rules the world. It's a, it's a, it's, it's such a, it's a, it's a complete industry now, you know, and it's, it's big money and it's, it's full of controversy and, and just, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I, I, it's it's an amazing time to be alive, actually, Oscar. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think definitely it's just it's amazing. I never would have thought way back decades ago when we were getting. I I'd always say this decades ago when we were catching whatever scraps we could from the main table and we just watch all the junk that was on TV like Van Sassik Journey or Logan's Run or The Man from Atlantis or what have you. And these, these things we watch because there's nothing else that was happening in the genre. But it's a, the amazing transformation where right now, you know, you go to a local theater, the multiplex, where the standout films are, you know, whether it's the latest Avengers or the latest Aquaman, you know, on the, on the marquee and the dominant films, 80% of the films are science fiction or fantasy. It's amazing. I mean, it's, people can't imagine that people can't envision the transformation unless you actually live through it. You know, there's a, I lived through it all and, and I watched all the cheesy films of the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, of course, there was magnificent films in the era, too. But the majority were, you know, pure Z-grade films, you know, with some notable exceptions. But, you know, the transformation now where literally there's so much, you know, good product out there where you literally have to count. You can't watch it. And you're actually tossing out good things to see because you can't see it all. So you're just watching the very top of the top, you know. Where you're choosing what to watch, and it's a, it's an amazing moment, so no doubt. Yeah, yeah, the the competition is, is incredible. I mean, and, and like you said, there's just at this point, there's just not enough time, you know, exactly. in life to see to see everything. <laughs> the sheer the sheer amount of content you could you could actually live out a hundred or so lifetimes just trying to watch everything, and you probably still would miss some stuff. Exactly. So it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's just, it's just an incredible time because they're, you know, they're putting out so much, so much great stuff. And that, that's another reason why I'm so excited for all of the, for all of the, uh, traction that the release the Snyder Cut movement has been getting because of the fact that we're so bombarded content wise. And now it's like, you know, if you're on, if you're on Twitter, that's all you see. You see the release the Snyder Cut hashtag all over the place now because it's 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 in the mainstream and there's apparently a going to be a Wall Street Journal article about the release the Snyder Cut movement coming out prior to Comic Con. Oh wow, that's amazing! So that's going to be interesting. And uh, one of the one of the big uh, reporters, and I can't remember his name right now. One of the big reporters. I think his name is Fitz or Fritz, something or other. Mm-hmm. He's he's writing this article and he's actually interviewed. Uh, he interviewed Fiona, the 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 uh, ForSnyderCut.com uh, yes. creator, and he interviewed uh, Chris Wong Swanson of the Ping Pong Flick Show. He interviewed a yes. few people and he actually uh, fan and some fans and some people. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually uh, we get our first statement from Warner Brothers one way or the other as well as a statement from Zack Snyder himself I find it amazing that throughout all of this and I think what a lot of people are missing is that Warner Brothers hasn't commented one way or the other 
So exactly. it's not like it's not like you you can't you you shouldn't have hope because if Warner Brothers isn't saying anything, it's usually because there's something out there that's being worked on. If they just came out and said, "Well, no, it's not happening. We don't have enough. It's not finished, or it can't be done, or unless Snyder finances it himself," all the things we've heard. If he's if if there was nothing to it, and it was just you know fan conjecture and just something we wanted, but we were never going to get it. I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers would say it. If Snyder hadn't shot everything, Snyder himself probably would have told us that there was no way it was going to happen. So by now, we we should really be we should really be looking at it like we're going to hear we're going to know something in the very very near near future at this point, one way or the other. Yeah, when, when we can expect most, this most film. definitely. They may Comic Con may be actually the venue to make that announcement. We'll see. Well, yeah, because they've got so many other things coming up, though. They've got they've yes. got Aquaman, they've got Shazam, they've got they've got Wonder Woman eighty four. They've got all these projects and things, and then they're going to be launching the, you know, the big DC Universe streaming service, which is another platform that is going to have some fascinating content. So, you know, I I'm thinking that DC is pretty much going to own Comic Con this year if they if they do it the right way. Yeah, I actually did. They probably are because Marvel, Marvel, and of course um, Disney are, in, are in, do not have a presence at Comic Con this year. See now, now see now that's what I heard. But I heard the last time that they didn't have a presence, they showed up anyway. They, yeah, they had. They had <laughs> we'll they see. Had maybe something. it may just be maybe just nonsense. Oh, we'll surprise them. You know that kind of thing. And we don't want to get people's expectations up. But we'll see. So, but I but see my thing is like, isn't Marvel more of you know, like with Disney and all that, don't they have their own thing now? I think Disney has their own con that yeah. they do. Yeah, they do. It's um, it's every year right around, I believe, April, and that's um, what is that thing called? Um, it's a celebration of Disney, Disney films, and Disney life, and it's at the um, it's at the Anaheim Convention Center. That's escaping me right now. <laughs> but I, I mean, but I, but I think that what they're doing is they're trying, they're, you know, they're save, they save their stuff for their, for their event, and then of course Star Wars has the, you know, has their celebration events. Um, oh, it's that's called E23. That's what it's called. Sorry. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that, so you got that, and then you got, and then of course you've got Star Wars. You know, you got the celebration exact, events exact celebration, that they do every exactly. year. So, so for me, I, you know, I'm looking at. I'm looking at DC to really walk away with all, with everything this year. I, I don't see how they, I don't see how Comic Con couldn't be big. And I, I don't, I, aside from you know the projects that we know about, somebody was uh, had put out something on Twitter uh, today saying, "Oh well, the 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 uh, the plan the plans that Warner Brothers have for for hall for their Hall H presentation have been leaked." Already, and there's nothing in there about Zack Snyder or the Snyder Cut. And I'm I'm thinking, well, wouldn't something like Zack Snyder and the Snyder Cut, knowing how popular it is right now, knowing how it's at a fever pitch on both sides of the argument, whether you want it or you don't, um, wouldn't it may make more sense for WB to keep that completely under wraps? Exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you would put out anything that would be leakable that could say maybe you, they put out some sort of little schedule or something that they have, but they don't necessarily have to get into the details. And if Zack Snyder, he's been posting a lot of hints that he himself is apparently headed to Comic Con. So if that if that ends up to be the case, you know, 
It's probably going to be a big event. It's probably going to be a big announcement, and it's going to surprise people. If you don't get any surprises out of Comic-Con, what's the point if you already know everything? Exactly. So Comic-Con is known to have these last-minute surprise events. I'll never forget the Star Wars Symphony, that event. You know, right before the Force Awakens, and you know, it's amazing moments like that that just shocked everybody. It was a surprise even to me. I was there as you know, I was there as one of the the house photographers in accredited press. Even I didn't I didn't know about it. So I was it was a wonderfully shocking moment, and it was fun to parade of all these Star Wars fans to the edge to the edge of um, the Pacific Ocean and enjoy a concert. You know, a symphonic concert with you know all your close Star Wars fans and wielding lightsabers and all you know and basically a a fireworks show time to the music is incredible i mean that's that's a magical moment that's what comic-con is known for yeah comic-con is is like the is like the wrestlemania of fed basically so (laughs) so you can so you can so you can expect surprises and you need to you need to you know and, and then people are like well you know just don't get your hopes up and then you won't be disappointed but my thing is if we we're gonna we're of course gonna get some kind of magic moment we were not expecting because yeah. that's what Comic Con is. If they're if they're not gonna if they're not gonna do it, and it's just gonna be stuff that we already know. Okay, they're gonna talk about Aquaman. They're gonna talk about Shazam and Wonder Woman and whatever have you. And it's gonna they're gonna do a round out on their you know about their streaming service that's launching next month and whatever. They're gonna do something that you don't know about because that's what it is. If if you and that's why that's why people should be extremely hopeful at this point in time because it's so exactly. close it's looming and there, there's got to be something i mean i mean i don't know how anybody who's been following Zack snyder on on vero social media over these last over these last seven months cannot be excited for comic-con and cannot believe in the snyder cut more than ever now because of the way things have progressed i mean and it doesn't take the world's greatest detective to put together a lot of these clues that he's put out i mean he's made it pretty clear what's gonna happen i mean it's just it's like it's like if he was just messing with you i kind of feel like Zack snyder would have would have told would have told us would have let us know hey there's nothing don't get your hopes up i got nothing there's nothing happening you know and you know, because he's all—he seems like he's the type of director that is very that wants to make his fans happy, wants to keep his fans happy. Why? Why give us all false hope for seven months if nothing's going to happen? It doesn't make most, any sense. Most of all, Zack Snyder's a big fan himself, and he's yeah. this is what he's always this is what he's always wanted to do. He genuinely enjoys these characters, and he reveres these characters. And unlike a lot of you know his detractors say that he's tearing these characters down he, in no way is he tearing any characters down if anything he's elevating the characters and creating unique you know a unique spin on them and also adhering closely to the vision of the characters and the origins you know while at the same time he's creating this real freshness to the character characters that you know fans have always wanted and yet these are the very same things that the fans criticize, but you know, oh, I, absolutely. I, can't, I cannot figure it out. So I, I really can't either, and I, I've had I've been struggling with it for a long time because I agree with you one hundred percent about Man of Steel. It's poetic. It's a masterpiece. There's absolutely no reason in the world why I think anybody should have had a problem with Man of Steel. And I, I like to I like to tease a lot of people that come at me about Man of Steel, and I like to say, well, wait a minute, you know. 
people don't realize this, but your your friend, you loved Christopher Nolan. You love Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight exactly. trilogy. Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan handpicked Zack Snyder, and yes. guess what? Guess what? Superman and Man of Steel was the brainchild of both Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan. Exactly. From what I heard, Christopher Nolan was the one who actually came up with the story for Man of Steel. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're gonna, so I mean, how can you you can you can love you can love what Nolan did over here, but you're gonna hate the guy that he picked to continue the DCEU for for continuing to go in a realistic direction with these characters. That's what I think the big problem is with these people. I think they're struggling with seeing such realistic versions of the characters exactly. that they and, didn't expect. If anything, I my 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 big criticism with the Nolan films, I thought it was a little bit too grounded in reality because it didn't have enough fantasy elements, unlike the Man of Steel, which had a wonderful blend of fantasy, science fiction, and realism because it had, it had all those elements combined wonderfully in it. The Dark Knight trilogy, to me, was a little bit grounded too much in reality, and there was enough fantastic elements to satisfy that comic book need in me. As much as I enjoyed them, I, my major criticism with them is they're, they're grounded too much in reality. Uh, right, you could actually it, believe yeah. that that... See, but I also tend to believe you could actually believe that Christopher Nolan's Batman was a, was real. Like if you were... Like if Batman were to exist, he would probably be like Christopher Nolan's Batman. Yes, yes. And where... Just like... But the same thing can be said about Zack Snyder's Superman. If yes. Superman were to exist in today's world, that's how he would be. He wouldn't be like Christopher and, Reeve. And as, as much as... As much as I enjoyed uh, Nolan's take on Batman, I enjoy Snyder's take on Batman that much more because I think I I like his Batman a lot more, and I think Ben Ben Affleck, in my opinion, and I'll stand by this is the best Batman that we have yet to see. On oh, I agree, I agree one hundred percent. I mean, it's, I mean, my it's, favorite my my favorite Batman of all time was Michael Keaton until I saw until I saw Ben Affleck in Batman yeah. v Superman because yeah. to me he he just embodies the character both physically and how he's supposed to how you could depict him like he looks like he just jumped right off the pages of the comic books exactly he's, complete, he's completely authentic whereas and then you have you know uh, well then you have you know the broken version of the character in the theatrical cut of Justice League in which Ben Affleck's Batman is reduced to making jokes and and making comments yes, and saying, he, saying he, things he, that he would never say. Yeah, he bastardized the character. It was amazing. It was an amazing. I sunk in my chair when I when I was hearing some of the lines that Fleck was forced to read. I was like, Oh, oh yeah, God, the smiling, the Ben Affleck yes. smiling under the mask. I mean, there were so many things that that you, you could look at and you could say, Oh my God, I don't know how. He did it, but Joss Whedon broke Batman. How's that even yes. possible? Exactly. You, 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 build, you, you can have humorous scenarios around Batman, but Batman himself always has to be the straight man because Batman is not funny. So you make exactly. the situations no, around fight. Batman funny if you want Batman. If you want something with Batman to be funny, you make the situations around him funny. Otherwise, you're going into uh, Adam West territory or even uh, Joel Schumacher, Joel Schumacher, <laughs> uh, Batman and Robin ter- territory there. Yeah, or Batman you know? Forever in the territory. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and I and I really, you know, I, and that that's what it is. I'm like the only thing missing from uh Whedon's version of Justice League is the bat nipples. 
I was missing waiting for something like that. Some kind of, because the, you know, like you pointed out earlier, the brightened, the brightened suits, the, le- the way that the, you know, the marketing is just so, you know, is just so overly, um, bright and cheery and it's, it's like geared towards, it's like this, you could tell that this version of, that this version of Justice League is geared towards children. Yes. You could totally see that that's what they were going and, for here. They they turned an adult it, film into it's like it's like they it's like when they it's like all those times they tried to neuter RoboCop. It just didn't work. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's intriguing to note that um, Joss Whedon was given you know given a heave ho from the proposed Batgirl film after this after all this settled you know which is I don't know if one thing led to another but it's interesting to note. We're, because he was he was but he is the proposed director of the Batgirl movie. Yeah, uh he, Bat Batgirl was uh <laughs> that's a, that's another one that would have that would have been bizarre seeing him in yeah. uh directing directing Batgirl. I don't know what he, what he would have did how he would have pulled that off because he's not a very uh <laughs> he doesn't it doesn't seem like he's very liked among female uh Female actresses, uh, well, actors, <laughs> female actors. Wonder. He seems like he's kind of a, he kind of, <laughs> I, I heard that he had a, that uh, Gal Gadot had a real rough time with him on the set of Justice League. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't speak for those kind of things because I, you know, I give people the benefit of the doubt, so that's all hearsay and, you know, you know, all rumors and innuendo and everything else until I see any kind of, in, in kind of any kind of proof, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in that in that department. So, <laughs> yeah, he he's definitely. It, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I kind of have a feeling that the next project we'll see from him will be another Marvel project. I don't know about you. Yeah, or probably. I I think he's actually. Go, I think they're actually trying to revive the the Firefly Firefly um, oh. series. So he might be involved with that. So. That would be good to just get him off of comic book stuff altogether and let him go back to his uh, Firefly Roots, yeah. and yeah, do his, Roots, do his or, thing. Yeah, because that's what he excelled at his own his own material. So that's what he. And again, he is he is and he does excel at when he's dealing with his own material. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a very entertaining series. Firefly, as limited as it was, it was very entertaining. You know, he's a he's a he's a good director. But he needs his own material to work with. Yeah, I agree. I think he, I think he really, he really is the type of person who could, who could just be content with his own projects. And as long as he's got those projects, you know. Yeah, and, he, it, and he's probably not rushing to do anything anyway because he made a, he made quite a killing off the you know two Avengers movies he worked on. So, and I'm sure DC paid him handsomely to do the. The reworking of the Justice League movie, so he's really in no real rush to do anything. If he wants, it, he probably doesn't have to do film for the rest of his life. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I can I can just imagine what the condition must have been for Justice League. Yes, they right. they probably threw a whole uh, millions of dollars because literally they see him as a savior of the movies. They probably threw probably at least ten million, if not more, in his direction. So, I mean, whatever, I, they, whatever I mean, the amount was. Uh, do you uh, do you ever wonder about what what it would have, but aside from money, what it would take for someone to come in and and pick up pick up from there? Like knowing how well, at least what the 
what the uh, press release was about how Zack Snyder left. I think what the what director would want to come in and and uh you know I think kind of pick up those pieces. Probably in defense of um weed and he probably looked at it from a viewpoint that I could possibly save this project and maybe um save Snyder Snyder in a weird in a weird way as well. You know, so that, he probably did it from the best intentions, you know, as we know the, the best you know the Best laid intentions, or <laughs> how would they say that about being paved the road to hell? <laughs> right. So the best intentions sometimes lead to hell, and all that, all that. So he probably went in there with the best of intentions. So I don't think he went in there maliciously. I think he went in there with an optimistic viewpoint that hey, I could save this movie if it need. I mean, he believed it probably needed to be saved. So let me go in here, save his film, and give you know fans what they supposedly want because he probably read all the negative press with um, Batman v Superman, so he decided to go the opposite route. Hey, let me give what the fans supposedly want. You know, unbeknownst to him that the fans didn't really want that, so that's probably a... In the end, I think it's a vocal minority that hates these the Snyder films that just they're just very loud. And as for the mainstream audience, the mainstream audience still is used to... They've been basically used to a steady diet of Marvel films, then when they see a more serious comic book movie, then that's that might be an issue because there's been a number of serious comic book movies over the years. You know, V for Vendetta is one of them, and you know, Watchmen, of course. Watchmen wasn't was wasn't that well received. You know, I think it's a brilliant movie. It wasn't it wasn't considered a hit. And then 300, which is a serious film, also even though that was a that was a hit, but that was an overtly violent movie. So we have these serious comic book movies that have trouble finding an audience because the audience, the mainstream audience is used to, they grew up on a diet now of Marvel films, and the Marvel films are, like I said, the equivalent of chewing gum, basically, where you're chewing on it, the taste is good for a while, then, you know, you just forget it and move on, basically. Exactly. And then again... That's not the, and again, that's not the insult of Marvel films, but I mean, you echo anyway. my, you echo my sentiments on it completely. It's like, I don't hate the Marvel movies and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, be negative towards them in any way. It's just, but that's just kind of the way I'm left to feel because like I said, I loved, uh, Avengers this this last Avengers movie, my yeah, God, I can't even think of the name of it. I loved it when I went to see it at the theaters. Infinity War, and I, I is it like a, there are some notable exceptions from the Marvel formula as I see it, like Black Panther, for instance. That's a very serious film. That's a very yes. complex, complicated villain, if you could call him a villain, in the movie, and it's a very atypical Marvel film. It's not the usual Marvel film, so and. Given that Ryan Coogler was given a lot of latitude, perhaps because a lot of the directors of the Marvel Universe, and that's not, and again, this is not an insult for any directors because they're all great directors, but they're probably handed a a mold. Hey, follow this Marvel mold or follow the Marvel continuity, and they can't put their own stamp stamp on it as it was. And basically, who created that that look was John Favreau, of course, for the Iron Man movies. He was he's the one that created that mold. That we've gone, gotten used to over the, you know, over the decade, that Marvel look, that Marvel style, that Marvel feel of a motion picture. You know, we have examples, the Infinity War and Black Panther, I think, are very unusual Marvel films, is that they're, they're, they're not the same mold. But then you have, you have films that are very, veering into this 
ridiculous territory like Thor Ragnarok, which I, you know, I was cringed wa- watching the film because I, I thought it made complete mockery of the Thor character. <laughs> you know, I don't know, everybody else seemed to love it, love the movie, but I thought it was a movie that ridiculed Thor. Yeah, I hated the direction they went in. I agree with you, because I actually believed that the first Thor, they tried to do with that, they tried to make a, tried to make it Shakespearean and epic in, cer- in certain ways. I just to see Thor. Thor is Shakespearean. If, yes. you're, if you're familiar with the comic books of Thor, Thor speaks in almost a Shakespearean manner, and that's the way I wanted Thor to be, and I knew that wouldn't happen, because mainstream audiences probably wouldn't handle dialogue like that, but they got as close as they could, and Kenneth Branagh was a great desi- great decision to direct the film because he's he's known for a Shakespearean film, so I, from the moment that he was announced, I was very excited. I said, okay, this is the perfect director to direct Marvel's version of a Shakespeare character, and that's what he did with the first film, this great, serious Shakespearean char- you know, character that who may or may not be a god, and that's the, where they should have gone. But then every each film, each subsequent film, and the Avengers themselves, Thor has become a buffoon. And Thor was never like that in the comic books. And that's that bothers me. No, so, they went with the they went with the Ultimates version of Thor. Basically, they didn't they didn't do they didn't do classic comic book Thor. And and you're and you're completely correct. The first, you know, the very first film I thought was great because again Kenneth Branagh Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet is one of my favorite. One of my favorite yes. films. Oh yeah, and, I mean, so yeah, seeing you know him direct Thor was one of the best, one of the best choices they could have made. But yeah, beyond yeah, so that, they, I don't know. Marvel definitely has a formula, and they their directors they hire are definitely told probably at some point or another this is the Marvel style. Please direct it in this Marvel in-house style. You know, we want you as a director, but we're interested in you know. Adhering this vision of the film, film which is fine, where they have a very tight continuity with their Marvel film universe, and that that has worked for them. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to argue with the grosses, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed practically every Marvel film that has been released. But if we look back on the history of Marvel, let's look at Blade, for instance. That had a completely different style. That's an ultimately serious, serious series of films, and had each each film had a different director each. Each film had a different style, and that's that. I think would have been a, a better direction for comic book movies to go in, and that's the direction I've always wanted them to go in. Where okay, we have a light film every once in a while, but let's go, let's explore the serious aspects of these characters. It, it should be interesting. There's been announced that Marvel's going to do a Morbius living vampire. I'm curious to see how they're going to, you know, approach this character, who's basically the who's basically a a reluctant vampire, a science fiction vampire. So that that character demands a serious treatment, and it's a very obscure character. And you know, we'll see if it even. It's not going to resonate. It's not going to register with you know mainstream audiences because they don't know who he is. But it'll probably be a big hit because they'll probably do that Marvel style, perhaps. But we'll see. It should be fascinating, anyway. <laughs> well, how do you feel about Jared Leto being cast in that role? I like Jared Leto. I think I think Jared Leto is an exceptional actor. And his Joker, I thought was incredible. I thought, I, I thought, I, I'm a big fan of Suicide Squad. David Ayer is a, is a fabulous, fabulous director. I mean, he's a, he's a very, he's a very underrated director. Indeed. And, and what he did with Suicide Squad was, was miraculous. I thought he, these obscure characters, Suicide Squad characters are very obscure to say the least. They're basically connected with Batman. 
in the DC universe, but general audiences don't know who they are. They were introduced, they were shown on the television series on the, you know, the television side of, um, DC, the DC universe as well, but nevertheless, they don't register with care, with audiences, so they could, you know, play fast. <laughs> they could play whatever they can with their origins and what have you. David Ayer created, you know, adhered to the characters' spirits, you know, quite well, which, with minimal changes. You know, uh, I thought it was, I thought he did a brilliant job with it. Yeah, I would I like, like to see his uh, director's cut of Suicide Squad as well. I think a yeah. lot of people would. That's kind of where the Snyder Cut uh, movement is kind of going now. We've kind of, it's kind of arching into trying to see if we could do the same thing for uh, Ayer's version of Suicide Squad. Exactly. I wonder, I wonder, speaking of um, the Joker character, the announcement that Leto will be playing the Joker in a standalone film and also, um, also, I believe, um, Joaquin Phoenix, isn't it? Or who's the yes. other guy? Yes, Joaquin Phoenix, yes. He's going to be playing the Joker in another film. So we have two, two different Joker films, which is, which is fascinating and is somewhat illogical and irrational, maybe, but probably a bold commercial move. So will audiences understand that perhaps one film falls within the, DC film universe and another film's like an Elseworlds character. Yeah, like or a standalone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe they, they should start an Elseworlds series. They should put on the umbrella El- DC. Well, that's what I've heard that they're doing. I've actually heard they're doing two. There's going to be two brands of films. There's going to be the DC, yes. I guess, the DC universe, and then there'll be, there'll be DC Dark or DC Black or whatever it's called yeah. for, <laughs> for, for standalone, for like standalone, uh, films that are, that are not particularly in any continuity. Yes. So if and that's the case, that's how that's how that Joaquin Phoenix uh, film will be. Done. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting thing how they do in the, the the television series. They they press the concept of the multiverse, which I think is fantastic. So I, I mean, even though that was, as we know, for us who kept up with comic books over the years, the crisis on the infinite infinite earths kind of dissolved all that, but yet. The continuity of the television series exists be, before the crisis, so uh, which was established in Flash. There's a there's a hint that there is a crisis in the future of the character. So, I mean, this is probably very much, pretty much, very much obscure for most mainstream people, and they probably anybody who's really mainstream probably wonder what the hell we're talking about. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've got I've got Crisis on in, the absolute edition of Crisis on Infinite Earths sitting here on my shelf it's like a it's like a comic book bible to me essentially and i i I love the story i've always been in love with crisis on infinite earths and i think that if dc really wanted to blow people away at comic-con they should announce a crisis on infinite earths movie that will span everything the tv universe the movies everything and just merge it all Emerge it all together. Would that be bold? Yeah, <laughs> Could you imagine? I, I, yeah, I, I prefer in my I prefer the Flash television version than the than the film version. And not to not to insult the film version, but I like the the Grant Justin version a lot better. I like the Flash of the television series than I did of the movie. A lot of but people that's... do. A lot of people prefer him. But, of course, that could also be with the way that the character was altered for the theatrical cut of Justice League. We don't know exactly. how, 
we don't know how Zack Snyder intended for the Flash to actually be. Exactly, because the Flash in, the, in that sequence in um, Batman v Superman, the Flash's character is a little different than it was in the than he was in the movie. But then again, they could explain that that's a future version of Flash or whatever the case is, and they could explain it that way. But I I think the direction of the Flash was a little, was taken a little a little bit in a different direction with Whedon. So he made it into more of a comic relief, a Spider-Man character, which the Flash was never a Spider-Man character, period, so. No, no, he wasn't. But then, see, but then, see, I don't really remember any references to brunch in the DC, in the DC universe either, <laughs> until Joss <laughs> Whedon came about. So on that note, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a quick, uh, break, and uh, when we come back, we'll have more on tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show with myself, Zod Rider, and my special guest tonight, Oscar Benjamin, the Compassionate Wolf. You are hey. listening to <laughs> you are listening to PSN-Radio.com, and uh, we will be right back.
And we are back on tonight's episode of the Zod Writer Show. You are listening to PSN-Radio.com. And Oscar Benjamin had just had just reminded me while we were on our little break that uh, we got to get back to Comic-Con. We've been spending an awful lot of time uh, discussing uh, Zack Snyder and the DCEU. And one of the main reasons we've been doing that is because Oscar and myself are both super huge Zack Snyder fans. We love Zack Snyder. We'll never apologize for it. And frankly, <laughs> we are, well, we feel like at least in our circles, we're kind of the minority there, but yet, I don't know. <laughs> so there's, some of the things coming up at a Comic Con are confirmed. There's, um, there's, uh, interesting, I would say the thing I'm most excited about is I have been a big fan of the film Unbreakable. The film was released in the year 2000. This to me was, it was a, it was a movie that was under the radar basically. Most people didn't realize it was truly a comic book movie until they finished watching it. So that's one of the most incredible aspects. Milan directed this brilliant movie and now he was split as being the second part of the Unbreakable trilogy and I was ecstatic when I seen Split. And now we're at the film release Glass is coming out January of next year and Glass has a panel at Comic Con. So that would say that would be the most exciting thing. You know, unless Snyder makes an announcement, I think that's going to be the most exciting thing. That's going to drive their fans absolutely bonkers in Hall H. Just to finally see the trilogy of the Unbreakable trilogy of Bruce Willis's character come to an end. And it's just such an original, profound comic book movie. It's the way comic book movies should be made with a reverence and a respect for the character and an awe and a sense of wonder. And that's what I think. That's how I want my comic book movies to be, like Unbreakable, like The Man of Steel. That's basically what I would say would be the most exciting thing happening for me at Comic-Con. What about you, Zod? What of all the things well, you know coming up? I'm I'm looking forward to that and... You know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Unbreakable fan myself. Um, mm-hmm. I and I and I loved the ending of Split as well. And I thought Split Split set the tone. And now, if we, you know, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the final film. That's gonna be great. Now, do we know if this is gonna be a definitive trilogy or if there's more planned? Yes, almost like a franchise. As far as I know, as far as I know, this is the this is it. This is the he's always M Night Shyamalan has always envisioned. This film as a trilogy. He said it way back in 2000. He wants, he wants us to be a trilogy. And, you know, lo and behold, the, the movie was not a success, unfortunately, when it came out. Once again, it's that serious tone. People don't know how to treat a serious comic book movie, in my opinion. The movie was, uh, probably the first M. Night Shyamalan flop, basically. Because if you remember, during that time, he released The Sixth Sense, among other movies. You know, this, this was a hot director. And then, he basically, in my opinion, he stumbled a little bit in the years afterwards, but then he found his mojo again, basically, and I think the true M. Night Shyamalan is back. The M. Night Shyamalan we've always loved is back, and Glass is going to reestablish him as, you know, the M. Night Shyamalan that, you know, never really lost his mojo, but perhaps, you know, was a little distracted for a couple of films. So that's, this is, for me, this is, he's announced this as a definitive trilogy, so, I mean, of course that may change, but, we have to we have to believe him and take him at his word. He's a very serious director, and he he's not one to be seduced too much by commercial prospects. 
Well, that's clear by based off of some of the films that he's made in the years that you've yes. mentioned. Yeah, like yes. I like I kind of look at it like like the the best films I think he made. He made, of course, was Sixth Sense and then Unbreakable and then this and then Split. Those are my three favorite films of his. Other than that, the rest of his catalog kind of falls a little bit flat. So, I'm, <laughs> so I'm really, so I'm really kind of, you know, so I, so I'm excited as well because I feel like he's finally getting his just due there with Glass, and I think yes. it will, I think it will elevate him to another level, which is great because then maybe he'll he'll have an idea for another trilogy that'll blow us away sometime down the line. So you never can, yeah. Die. Yes, exactly. I, I'm, I've been, I've, I love this Signs also. I don't know if you remember that movie. The oh, movie I remember Signs too. I, you know what? I almost forgot about that one because I started thinking about The Last Airbender, which I didn't yeah, okay. not, not like. <laughs> I didn't not like it, but then again, it's not really, he, I think he said he made that one for his kids. Yes. Or for, and at the same time, it was like yeah. the animation was good. <laughs> yeah, we can't forget the the horrific After Earth too. Oh, that was just I I thought that was probably the lowest he's ever sunk was After Earth, and the After Earth, yeah, yeah, after, <laughs> that was that was I thought that was truly terrible. But uh, After Earth was painful to watch. I'm I'm yeah. gonna say it right now. I mean, it was. I mean, it, it when was you talk about a movie that was when you talk about a movie that was cringeworthy. Yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed, and that's that's he's he's had highs and he's had lows, and I mean I've always always given him the benefit of the doubt because he's the director of Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, and he did a great job of Split, and you know we're going to see Glass in January. It's going to be an event. It's going to be a it's going to be a must see film starting starting next year in 2019. It's you know people any fan of a comic book films comic book should see the film. You know Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis fans, M Night Shyamalan fans, so. It's going to be a huge panel at Comic-Con, no doubt. Are you excited for Shazam? Shazam? Yeah, I am. I, I love, I love, um, I love, um, the, the actor that's portraying Shazam. I think he's perfectly cast and I think it's going to be, it's probably going to be a film that's not going to go the, so much the Marvel route, but it's going to have his own unique DC sense of humor. So I'm very much looking forward to it, which is, Gonna be a basically, it's it's almost gonna be like a, a fantasy fulfillment of just think of yourself as a as a kid, you know, when you're ten or eleven or whatever the age was, you're reading comic books where you had this fantasy of actually becoming the characters. And I think if they tap into that that wish fulfillment, it's gonna be a wonderfully charming movie. It's gonna be a movie that will, you know, perhaps bring you back to your childhood in a you know most wonderful way. So I'm definitely looking forward to Shazam. Yeah, I, I, the reason I asked about Shazam is because it's rumored that we're going to get uh, something at Comic-Con in regards to Shazam. Either, I don't know if they'll give us as much of, maybe if a trailer might be too much to hope for, but um, yeah, that's, that's it's possible. A, definitely a rumor at this point, but... <laughs> I mean, a, a I teaser... I would, I would think they would have something. I mean, it would be something to see. I mean, it would it would drive the place crazy. So there'd be no doubt about it. And Zachary Levi is perfectly cast. I mean, he's, he looks exactly like Shazam should look. And I mean, it's just, he's got the style, he's got the whimsical style of acting that's perfect for the character. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the whole thing. And it can't yeah. wait for the release. 
Yeah, it's looking good. And uh, like, what are and now? What are your feelings on Wonder Woman eighty four? Are you excited? Oh, I'm very, I'm very excited about it, but I'm hesitant about the whole Steve Trevor thing. And I hope it's a flashback or something. But if, from that, on the back, so it's either a relative or something. I mean, but because I don't like the idea. Of, I don't like the the whole idea of in the comic book films. A lot of times they. The characters die and they return, and it destroys the whole the whole reason for existence for a lot of the characters. Wonder Woman is very much affected by the death of Steve Trevor, and you can see that in her interactions in in Batman v Superman and in the Wonder Woman movie itself. And in a, in a, in essence, by bringing the character back, they're cheapening they're cheapening cheapening his death in a way. So my hope is that it's. It's probably too much to hope that it's a flashback because he's wearing the '80s clothes in that one production still I've seen of him. But we'll see. It's I'm, I have faith that they'll do something that'll give respect to the character. I'm hoping it's a relative, also, or <laughs> if it has to be him, maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, Zeus or Ares. It could be one yeah. of the gods disguised yeah, as Steve exactly. Trevor. Yeah, that would be a great twist. Yeah, that would be you know, that would be a hell of a should be a hell of a twist. In fact, because so it can't be the actual the real Steve Trevor. Because, like you said about the profound impact his death had on her character, and and I and and you know that also goes back to you know goes back to the Snyder cut of Justice League because we can only imagine how. The death of Steve Trevor uh, affected Wonder Woman during Justice League, during the actual cut we were supposed to get of Justice League. I mean, they exactly. they make yeah, reference yeah. to it in the in the Whedon version, but uh. <laughs> Batman v Batman v Superman, she has explicit lines where she says she retreated from man's world, and you could see you could then Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot brought this incredible sense of longing and pain to her character that was very subtle, and I thought. One of the best things about the character that she was powerful, but yet she was profoundly human at the same time, and she felt a deep sense of loss, and that comes from the fact that she's probably more than likely she's immortal, so she's seeing a lot of her human friends or the you know the mortal people around her die, so that's a heavy burden upon her character, which creates this multi-layered shade of gray to Wonder Woman that was obviously lacking in the television series, which again is not the knock the television series campy glory it was and everything else, but <laughs> you know, this was the first this is the best depiction of Wonder Woman, period. Not that there have been many actresses that played Wonder Woman, but you know, as far as I know, this is the third time. This yeah, there was a, there was a blonde. There was a blonde actress, isn't there? It was a blonde. Yeah, actress. yeah that, was, that was horrific. That wasn't that, that uh, Kathleen. Was it Kathleen Crosby? Is that who it was? Yeah, I think I forgot who it was, but yeah. Then of course there's Linda Carter. Then it was um, was, was the actress from she played Agent on Agents of Shield. She played in that that terrible pilot. Oh, did you ever see that? Oh yeah, the the te- the terrible pilot with the unfinished special effects, the unaired <laughs> the unaired pilot for Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awful, 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 horrific. Then this is you know, and of course there's no no one can hold a candle to Gal Gadot performance of Wonder Woman which which again error the character is affected by the death of Steve Trevor and that's that to me if by bringing him back it's going to cheapen the cheapen that it's going to be an illogical addition and it's not going to explain how she felt in Batman v Superman so we, we're going to throw the continuity off a little bit 
Unless, of course, as he said, it's a it's a god playing some kind of mischievous or some horrific trick on her, which would I think would be fantastic. That would actually cause her more to retreat from man's world too, and that would be perfect. She's right, that's of, the only know. way that that's the only way that it would underscore those feelings to happen in the future, because this exactly. is a because again, Wonder Woman eighty four is a period piece that takes place in the eighties. So that's exactly. you know you're when you when you're dealing with a prequel to established to established films, you kind of have to tread you kind of have to tread lightly and unless I, continuity I believe, doesn't I, matter. I and I believe Patty Jenkins is very, very well aware of that, and she's worked closely with Zack Snyder also. Because Zack Snyder, I believe, was one who, who might, possibly might have picked her to be the director of Wonder Woman. Though, I, yeah. you know, I'm not entirely sure of that. Yeah, he did. He was producer on Wonder Woman, I believe. Yeah. He picked her, and he was the one that wrote the story, came up with the story for Wonder Woman. Exactly. So they're, they've collaborated closely. So she she's well aware of how, you know, the feelings of that future Wonder Woman is. You know, vis-a-vis the death of Steve Trevor and how that, how that affected her. So they've got it. I, I'm hoping is exactly your plot switch. There's, you know, one of the gods there playing a trick on her. You know, and she drops her guard and that's a way of getting her, whatever the case is. And we're dragging the audience is dragged along there. Our feelings are dragged along throughout the film only to be, you know, the bull po- pulled underneath us when we find out it's a, you know, Ares once again or, you know, one of the other gods. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't Ares again because, you know, it seems like the Ares would be a running thread through any yes. Wonder Woman Wonder Woman films. You, she didn't. Ares, you're, 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 yeah, there's no belief Ares that is, Ares is gone. He's a, well, he's a major villain of he's a major villain <laughs> right. to Wonder Woman, especially in the George Perez Wonder Woman's that this movie was heavily modeled after. Yeah, so definitely. I, I think I don't think we've seen the last of Ares. Maybe we've seen the last of the actor who played Ares in the previous <laughs> film, but I don't think we've seen the last of Ares playing tricks on Wonder Woman throughout various uh, future films. You know. Now, now the only I think the only Marvel film, if you want to, of course, is an offshoot as a Sony film, so it's Sony Marvel. I think the only presence there at, at one at Comic Con will be Venom. Now, of course, because of Venom, the upcoming release later on this year. So I, they have a panel there. And that, to me, I've always been intrigued. As much as I like the villain Venom, it's just creating a separate movie film is a, is a risky move. Because for one thing, the, care, the villain isn't that well known, again, outside of, you know, the direct comic book fandom itself. And he didn't get a really good reception in that, in that, um, in that film, in that original film where he first appeared. Spider-Man you know, the, 3. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people, our audiences might be expecting that or they might, they might not care and go in to see it anyway. So it's, it's going to be a risky commercial movie. It does look, it does look great and the Venom is, you know, accurate to the comic book. But having a, you know, separate Venom movie that's, that's not going to make mention of Spider-Man is illogical and odd to say the least. Because Venom's identity, origin is, Tight, you know, closely, closely parallel, not parallel, but is because of Spider-Man, basically. Venom exists. Exactly. Because Peter Parker discarded the outfit and found a way of, you know, using the loud sound of the bell, found a way of getting the Venom outfit, the Venom creature off of him. And Venom had this resentment towards Spider-Man. He latched onto, 
of course, the other characters. So that's that's integral to the characters. So I don't know how they're going to explain or create a new origin that doesn't involve Spider-Man. And perhaps they do, and that's the major surprise that Spider-Man is in the movie as an, in a cameo. So disregarding the disregarding the black suit, that would be amazing if the movie opens up with with the. With the MCU version of Spider-Man disregarding yeah. the, the suit, it would and be it would be va- it would be fantastic and an incredible surprise and, and beautiful to see because that ties into the Secret Wars and everything else, which I I don't think is ever going to be done. But you know, the Spider-Man in the comic book, Spider-Man, of course, Peter Parker obtained that obtained that outfit during the Secret Wars. So that's so how how we're going to explain that in the in this Marvel film universe, you could af- you could explain it by being that it's a that it's a future event. You could say that Venom takes place in the future, after you know, of course, after Infinity War and all that. I know it's separate though because it's, it's it's Sony, own. but they do exactly. work. They are kind of working together a little bit. So so I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but I don't know. He's not playing. I don't think he's playing. Uh, Tom Hardy's not playing Eddie Brock, though, is he? I don't think he is. I think I he's playing a different guy. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't know. And he never makes mention of Eddie Brock. I don't. I'm not sure on that. I, I could whip up an IMDb here and find out really quick. And let's see here. Venom. Let's see. Tom Hardy. We'll see really quick here if he is Eddie Brock. And um, yes, Eddie Brock Venom. Yes, yes, he is. Wow. So maybe our maybe our prediction. Will come true, maybe. Uh, well, our our speculation, maybe that will come true. Maybe we'll get a cameo, a Spider-Man cameo at the beginning of the film, and all it has to be is him disregarding the suit. Exactly, discarding it and getting rid of it, and then, you know, then it then it latches on to that sinister government group that's apparently investing investigating the symbiote. You know, that's how they get a hold of it because it's discarded, and they they pick it up, and then they're studying it, and that's how we. Finally, it latches on to Eddie, Eddie Brock. But we'll see. I mean, it's it would be it would be great, but I think it's probably going to be too much to ask for. But you know, maybe we're maybe we have a scoop here and we don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah, it would be bizarre if we if we turned out to be right on both counts. Yeah, actually, it would be. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually expecting expecting to be right on a couple of these things, and people will have this podcast to go back and look at <laughs> and say, "Oh my God, you know, Zod and Oscar got it right." <laughs> exactly. And there's another thing I'm excited about in, in Comic Con is I'm, even though I would say I'm not a big, I'm not a big Halloween fan, I'm very much excited about this upcoming Halloween film. Because it's just, it's just to revisit the re- have Jamie Lee Curtis in that I, you know, our, our iconic role. It's just, it'll be wonderful just to see it all, all the characters back together again. And, and I know I'm very much in a minority when I say this, but I never ever really liked the Halloween film. And my favorite Halloween film is Halloween 3 because it's, it's, it's beyond slasher film. And Halloween to me has always been a slasher film. And slasher films, are really lack imagination. Even though John Carpenter is a brilliant director, I don't think it's one of his best films. Just he's much more imaginative than that. And I know obvious reasons why he did it, and I'm glad he made a lot of money on it because he was able to finance his later brilliant films, you know, like The Thing and, you know, the In the Mouth of Madness and what have you and Prince of Darkness, which is my personal favorite of John Carpenter's films. 
But Halloween, it'll be it'll be fun to revisit the characters to to a movie I really never liked, but yet I'm excited about it. So it's it's a weird it's a weird thing to state. Well, can you explain that though? Why you're excited about it when you never when you didn't really like the movie? I mean, is it something? I'm 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 excited about it because of the the look of the the look of the film and and there's very much almost like a weird Terminator 2 feeling to it which Terminator 2 is in my opinion Terminator 2 was much better than the than the first Terminator right and it's yes. got got it's got that potential to be actually better and that's not saying much in my opinion better than the original Halloween so i know that's sacrilege and i know a lot of people are probably throwing shoes at their at their computer screens right now and you know, probably waiting for me to jump in one day. Oh, I'm going to show that guy. <laughs> That's how rabid the fans are of Halloween. But it has that potential to be so much more than what Halloween could have been. Because Halloween, to me, was a schizophrenic film that I believe that John Carpenter never decided whether, you know, Michael Myers was a supernatural character or just a regular human being. And he was he was caught between that. He never, he never made up his mind whether Michael Myers was a supernatural force or actually a human. That bothered me watching the film, even back in 1978. I'd seen it when it was first released in 1978 as a teenager. And even back then, I thought, oh, God, it's a schizophrenic film. The director can't figure out whether it's supernatural or whether it's just a regular psycho. You know, and that bothered me. That bothered me to this day, that lack of that lack of decision that, that um, Carpenter never decided to complete there. That's why I like Halloween 3 so much, because it's a pure supernatural film, and touches upon a lot of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, ideas, and it's just a movie full of imagination. It's It's got science fiction elements to it. It's actually genuinely horror, horrifying, and I like the little ditty, too, so. <laughs> well, there's, a, I lot know, of, like, there's a lot of elements. There's a lot of elements in Halloween, though, that, like, I could see where you would be coming from that it has potential to be more because it could be a deeper story then, of course, yes. then the original. And it looks like it's going to be deeper. But then there's also, you know, the idea that about what you were saying where the, where the, uh, you know, John Carpenter never decided whether he, he Michael Myers was human or supernatural, where it was like the later sequels tended to go with, with the more supernatural. And then you had the people, and then you had the people saying, and then you had the people coming back and making sequels later on, like the, you know, the 20 yeah. years later, where it kind of made them less supernatural and more human again. So, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the direction that this that this film takes it. But I didn't want to cut you off on your other point. What were you no, saying? No, no. Basically, um, there's visually the film looks very striking. The part where the part in the actual trailer where they're in, the reporters are actually goading. Michael Myers on looks like an, an incredible sequence and that for that scene alone I want to see the movie because the production design and the, the tension and the power of the sequence is remarkable and and it also touches upon it also um, symbolizes Michael Myers mindset at that moment to the, the isolation he feels and you know the seemingly unrelated um, items in that scene—the the dog barking and the guards keeping their distance—and it's an amazing sequence that I think if the movie stays on that level, then it would be actually be a masterpiece, and it'll redeem the whole notion of Michael Myers for me. So that's basically the main reason why I'm excited about it because I want I want the character to be redeemed in my own eyes. I mean, I know again, I know I'm pretty much in a minority here, but for me, the character needs redemption and. 
much like um, the silly Friday the 13th character. You know, that character is a mindless boogeyman. I mean, he's, it's a mindless series of slasher films. And there's, I know it's, they've got their rabid fans also, but here again is a mindless, unimaginative series of movies <laughs> that basically exists to find, you know, ways how many times we could stab a person or what imaginative ways we could kill this person. Or, and there's no tension. There's no, there's no suspense. It just becomes an exercise in, you know, slasher films and, and I'm not anti-slasher films. I've loved a number of slasher films over the years, but those those type of movies, especially during the '80s, that came out because of Halloween and Friday the 13th, just inspired you know these holiday movies. You know, uh, what was it? Um, My Bloody Valentine, Merry Christmas to Me, or whatever. You know, the the series. Let's make these film slasher films based around these holidays. It got ridiculous. <laughs> got ridiculous and laughable, actually. And I want to ask you, since we're on the subject of horror films and slasher films, uh, what's your opinion on the upcoming uh, Child's Play television series that's in development? I, is it a television series or is it a movie? It's apparently going to be a television series. Oh, Lord. It's, for one thing, it's not, there's, not enough meat on the, there's not enough meat on the bones to sustain a television series. And it, that this, this, this whole subgenre of dolls coming back to life has been with us for many decades now, you know, whether it's Dead of Night in the 1940s or Magic in the 1970s, you know, Anthony Hopkins and what have you, or the famous, um, or the great one, Tales from the Hood, or that great episode. Yeah, that's getting, that. that's getting us, that's getting a sequel too, I yes, think, it is. Tales yes, from the yeah. Hood. Finally. Yeah, there's a great scene with dolls in that, and there's, if really done well, dolls could actually add some real horror, but, the Chucky series was basically a comedy. It was, it was, a, there was a series of comedic films about. Well, it's this. like what it was like what Nightmare on Elm Street became, you know, exactly. with the subsequent it never, sequels. It never, it never drew me. I've seen every one of them, and every one of them, I just every every time I see them, I, I always think to myself, why do I even bother watching this? You know, nonsensical films, and for them to create a series around them, I mean, unless the unless there's a genius writing, it's going to be a it's going to be a throwaway series, and you know, only rabid fans are going to watch, and I doubt it's going to last more than one season. I could be wrong, and maybe it's going to be magnificent, but I highly doubt it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked to hear that it was going to be made into a TV series because, you know, they've kept the film series going, and, you know, yes. strangely enough, with their, with their like, um, you know, limited theatrical releases and then they and then they go straight straight to video so it's like i and i see where there's a market for that but in contrast when you look at you know for example like another another uh franchise you look at tremors those movies have been direct to video there's been so many of them and then they and then they released (laughs) that trailer for that sci-fi series that sci-fi channel version of the series that was bringing back kevin bacon that show looked brilliant and they decided yes. to pass on it what do you think about tremors i guess this is going to be the last thing we're going to mention to you i love i love tremors when it was first released i loved i love kevin bacon's character i love fred ward in it also fred ward is either actor right yes or yeah i loved i love the whole notion of it and i love i love i'm a big fan of um desert horror movies i mean i've my latest my latest i was in arizona when i was in arizona last week i got to 
I got to visit this um, interesting lost 50s town called Lowell, right? And uh, my immediately, my imagination went overdrive, overdrive. I expected to see the tarantula from the 1950s films or, or the amazing Colossal Man and, you know, all these 50s icons. So desert desert horror is a, is a subgenre in itself. When done well, is actually very entertaining and very horrific because of the, the landscape, the, the weather, and the sheer hopelessness of your of your environment adds adds another layer to the horror, and to have creatures living underneath a desert landscape in itself is, you know, another element of. You know, it's it's similar to having a rattlesnake when you confront a rattlesnake in the desert. There's a it almost makes you it basically almost makes you freeze because of the heat and your environment and your sometimes you're delusional and that adds to the the horror of the the movie the, the setting itself becomes a a character. So I think. I think it would have been a fine series, but such is the case, it may be picked up by Netflix or something, and what have you. <laughs> well, it would, it would actually. I, I'm hoping that it would, because it really looks like it's one of those shows that totally would have expanded on the mythology of the original, and I think that's what we, that's what we've needed. I mean, Michael Gross has kept the series of direct-to-DVD films going for a long time now, which, which I find fascinating. He's made a career out of. Out of this character, and it, it's kept him, kept him working. So you know, I give him credit for yes. for that. But my goodness, I mean that that TV show looked looked like it was going to be incredible. I think it'll find. Uh, I think it'll definitely find a, find an outlet because there's so many outlets now. You know, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. You know, Facebook coming up with you know original contents, and you know, of course YouTube. There's such a demand for content that they're going to pick up. Anything and everything, and not to say you know Tremors is anything and everything, but they'll pick it up because it's quality content, and that goes back to directly go back to what we were talking about. There's so much good quality material, you know, on these different outlets. It's astonishing. You know, I don't know if you watch Westworld, but that in itself is is a remarkable show. I mean, to elaborate on the original movie, if you ever watched the original movie, that oh yeah, I love the original movie. Yeah, definitely. That in itself was good, and this is um, you know Michael Crichton material, and one of his obsessions is the the park, the idea of a was Jurassic Park itself, the things, the idea that things that adults or children at many times reveal their true selves in an amusement park, and that's one of his obsessions, and that was. That was captured very well in not only the Jurassic Park, but uh, in Westworld and the Westworld television series, even more so in the Westworld television series, which is a, a masterpiece. I mean, it's a absolutely stunning television series. So that's that shows that there's so much material out there. How can you catch up with it all, let alone go to Comic-Con and everything else you got to do? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? On that note, it's, it's incredible. I mean, com- Comic-Con is going to be great. Are you... Are you going? Are you actually going to be there in San Diego? Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to be there. I have I have a conflict of you know assignments of jobs, so I will not be there this year. So, also, oh, you'll be glued to it online, just like I will. Then. Yeah, I'll be getting, I'll be getting <laughs> the news online and everything else. But I just have so many other projects going on, and I couldn't fit it in. So I just there's just no way. So. <laughs> Well, it was so much fun to sit here and, and speculate with you for two hours, Oscar. We've definitely got to do this again. This has been such such great fun to, to you know two unapologetic Snyder fans just going back and forth. And again, 
that's that's always a good time considering our 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 circle <laughs> you know exactly and, and then uh, and before we go i'm going to make the announcement that the hour of the compassion wolf will be back within this month so there you go it's a scoop well, there, well, that is wonderful news. That's wonderful. I, I, I was hoping you would announce something like that about your show because I definitely want to come, wanted to come back. My Monday nights have not been the same. <laughs> Just like wow. I'll be back again. I'll be back. I'm, I might start off with a, new, with a new theme song, but we'll see. And it'll be there'll be some subtle changes, but otherwise it'll be the hour of the compassion wolf. Everybody's. Everybody grew in love over the years, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All your, all your chat room people will, I'm sure will oh. come back and everything will be just like you never left, I'm, I'm pretty sure. From the industry, a couple of good music and, you know, a lot, a lot of laughs and whatever the latest adventures I've been on, that'll be all part of the hour of the Compassionate Wolf and I have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> Well, I, I had to. I wanted to ask you one last question before we uh, end the show tonight, because we got uh, we got another show coming on on PSN Radio in a few minutes here, so we kind of got to wrap it up. But I wanted to ask you about uh, about about Lily. I mean, have, have any has anything new been happening on that front? I know I'd spoken to her uh, uh, a few times on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. and Twitter and. Um, Zero social media. Yes, we're still we're still you know we're still planning quite a lot of projects for her, and hopefully you know all the projects either one of the projects that hit strong or all of them will gel at the same time. We'll see, but you know as anybody knows in this industry, it's a it's a long game. You play always play the long game. You don't expect the you know the overnight hot sensation. Oh, Sometimes absolutely not. You got to have a you got to have a strategy for the long, the long game, and that's I've got a you know I've I've direct I've gotten a, actually gotten a couple of people interested in having her in some projects, which is good, and there might be one coming up hopefully later on later on this year of uh, an interesting interesting producer. So I can't you know NDAs and everything else I can't get into it too much, but. You know, hopefully that, hopefully that'll hit and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep everybody up to date, of course. Okay, well that would be, yeah, that would be great because I was, I was thinking, you know, we would, I, you know, I'd be glad to bring her back on, you know, sometime next month or in the near future, uh, with, with something else because she's definitely, she definitely does look like she's involved in an awfully lot of projects. So it's. Yes, yes. A very busy girl, no doubt about it. <laughs> so, but on that note, I do want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, most importantly, Oscar, I want to thank you again for joining me on tonight's show. This has been wonderful. Yes, it was definitely my pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to a fellow knowledgeable fan. You know, unlike a a fan that's sometimes you know overtly emotional, you combine the emotions with the intellect. So that's a refreshing combination. So. Oh, thank you very much for the compliment, Oscar. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. Feeling is very mutual. And I guess the last thing to say would be, hashtag, release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we will see you next week on the Zod Rider Show. You've been listening to psn-radio.com. See you next week.